you're listening to What Do Scientists Do? A show where I talk to a different guest each episode, and they teach us all about their favorite science topic. Along with each episode, we will also be posting activities that you can do at home. You can find those at bit.ly forward slash what do scientists do, or at scientistsdopod on Twitter and Instagram. My name is Jessica, and today I get to talk to Lindsay Power, who teaches us all about biomedical engineering. What kinds of technology have we invented to help us study the human body? Can we control robots with our minds? Let's find out. Hey, everybody. I'm joined by our very special guest today. Could you give me your name and your pronouns, please? Hi, my name is Lindsay. My pronouns are she, her. And Lindsay, what do you study? I'm studying biomedical engineering. What's biomedical engineering? So biomedical engineering is a branch of engineering. So that means that we build or create something new. Um, And it's biomedical because it has a medical application to it. So what are some kinds of things that our listeners may have heard of before that were made using biomedical engineering? Yeah, there are a lot of different branches of biomedical engineering. Um, Some of the researchers in biomedical engineering do things like they create new cells or they create new tissues. Um, Other people make things like prosthetic limbs. So if a person loses an arm or a leg, they might make uh, a robotic or a prosthetic limb to replace the lost limb. Um, Also, some researchers do robotic. You can have robots that do surgeries in the hospital with the doctors um, or robots that are just helping a researcher do their research. Um, And then the branch of biomedical engineering that I do is recording signals from different parts of the body. So you can record signals from your heart, you can record signals from your muscles, um, and and in my case, I record signals from the brain. That's really cool. So it sounds like it's a lot of different types of things combined. You have people who do robotics and technology and programming, but they're also applying it to the human body and life sciences, which is pretty different from the types of engineers that might build buildings, for example, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a very different application, but it's really cool for people who are interested in the human body and the life sciences. What are you specifically working on? You mentioned measuring signals from the body. What types of signals do you measure? Yeah, so I measure human brain signals. Um, So there's a couple of different ways that we can do that. One way is through a technology called EEG. And that's short for a really long word, um, which is electroencephalography. And what that means is we record the signals that are generated by these little neurons in the brain. So neurons are specialized cells in the brain that fire these little electrical impulses. And we can actually put a sensor on the outside of our head that's able to measure how strong that electrical impulse is and where it's occurring in the brain. And we can use that information to tell us about what our brain is doing while we're thinking about things, while we're moving, um, while we're doing different tasks. So that information is really interesting to us as biomedical engineers and as neuroscientists. So that's one of the things I do. Um, The other technology, which is very similar to that, is called MEG. And it's short for another very long word called magnetoencephalography. And the difference here is that instead of measuring the electrical signals from the neurons, it's measuring the magnetic field that comes from the electrical signal. 
Um, so there's some fancy physics principles that go along with that, but basically every electrical current has a magnetic field that wraps around it. And so we can measure that magnetic field also from outside the head. And when we do that, we can find similar information about how those neurons are behaving inside the brain. And that can also tell us about uh, what parts of our brain are active during certain things. That's really cool. And why would we need to know these things? When is EEG and MEG used? Yeah, so there are a few different applications. There are a lot of applications to research. So if we want to learn more about how our brain works, we can use EEG or MEG to do that. So for example, if we want to know what part of our brain is active when we're moving, so if we're um, tapping our fingers, for example, there's a specific part of our brain right in the center um, that's responsible for generating that movement. So we can localize exactly where that part of the brain is and know that that part of our brain is what's causing us to be able to move our hands. Then um, it's also used medically by doctors, um, and that's particularly in the case of epilepsy. So epilepsy is a disease that causes seizures in people. You may have heard of it. Um, and usually, it, this can be cured just by or, or managed just by medication. However, in some people, if it can't be ma managed by medicine, instead what they do is they remove a little part of the brain that might be responsible for causing those seizures. And so that's where MEG or EEG comes in. So the patient will come into the doctor's office and they'll put on either an EEG cap or uh, be put in an MEG system. And we measure the electrical signals or the magnetic signals that are coming from the brain. And there will be sort of a weird pattern of electrical signals that are coming from the part of the brain that's causing the seizure. And so that will allow the doctors to know that that part of the brain is the part that they have to remove. And so we can do that before we do any type of surgery and just see but outside of the head what part of the brain is causing um, these weird signals. And then the surgeon will know that that's the part of the brain that they have to remove. So are seizures caused by electricity that you would detect with the EEG? Is that what happens? Yeah, exactly. So seizures are caused by sort of an abnormal or a strange pattern of firing of these neurons. So in people who have epilepsy, their firing of the neurons is different than healthy people. And so we get uh, a strange signal that we can detect through the EEG or the MEG system. And that's what tells us that there are seizures happening in that part of the brain. And when you talk about EEG and MEG, why would you ever choose to use one over the other? Is one of them easier to use than the other? Is one of them more expensive? Yeah, so they, they definitely have their pros and cons. EEG is more commonly used, and that's for basically the reasons you mentioned. Um, EEG is more portable, and it basically just comes in this swim cap looking thing that you just pull down over your head. Um, and so that's very easy for people to use. It's also quite inexpensive. Um, it's a couple thousands of dollars, whereas um, MEG is a lot more expensive. And it has to be in a very specialized room to block out all of the other magnetic fields. So for MEG, it costs a couple hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's a lot more than EEG. Um, and the specialized room, basically, 
has special metals on it that block out any magnetic fields that come from outside from other technologies or electronics and things like that. So that's one that would be the reason to use EEG over MEG. But the reason to use MEG is because it's a bit more sensitive to the signals than EEG is, and it's better at detecting the exact location that the signals are coming from. EEG is very broad and it can only detect the signals generally, but MEG can get a much more precise location. Um, so that's why we would opt for the more expensive and big fancy technology. Yeah, that's really interesting because you mentioned having to block out all the magnetic signals from other things around. In a shark episode that we had earlier, we talked about how sharks can sense the electric fields of living things because all living things have electric fields. So I guess that would mean that all living things have magnetic fields as well, and that's why they have to be blocked out by the special room. Yeah, exactly. So living and non-living things have um, magnetic fields. So the Earth itself has quite a strong magnetic field that just comes from the ground, basically. Um, So we have to block that out. We also have to block out the magnetic fields that come from uh, like computers and other electronics that would be around. And then your body has a lot of different magnetic fields that it generates. So your heart will generate one type of magnetic field. Um, There could be magnetic fields from your muscle movements. Um, And the ones generated by your brain are very, very tiny. And they're way smaller than any of those other magnetic fields that I mentioned. So we have to use a very specialized type of sensor to sense particularly those tiny magnetic fields and block out all of the bigger ones. That's really cool. And in your work that you do, what are you doing with that EEG and MEG stuff? What do you do every day? Yeah, so I'm working on a couple of different things. Um, We do some work with epilepsy patients, as I mentioned. And some of the work is actually identifying where that seizure is coming from, like I talked about before. But some of the work is identifying the other parts of the brain that a surgeon would want to avoid when they take out the seizure part. So you want to know what part of your brain is allowing you to move and what part of your brain is allowing you to see and what part of your brain um, is allowing you to talk. Because you don't want to remove any of those parts of your brain when you're doing the surgery. So we have to know exactly where all those parts are. Um, before we do the surgery. So some of my work is um, looking at where exactly those parts of the brain are in different people because it's slightly different for everyone um, so that we can avoid them in epilepsy patients uh, when, when they have a surgery. Some other work that I'm working on is a little bit different. Um, so I'm actually looking at a lot of this imaging data, a lot of MEG data across a bunch of different people Um, And this is what you might call a big data set. There are about 600 different participants who have MEG data from just a movement task. Um, And what I'm looking for is uh, repeating patterns across a lot of people um, and across and within an individual person. So when we get that brain signal, it kind of looks like a lot of noise. At first, there's a bunch of squiggly lines that you may have seen before. And what we're trying to do is pull out little segments of the squiggly lines that look the same throughout the data, because that might be interesting information, something that's happening over and over again in your brain. So if we take out those little segments of data and we look at them across people, we also want to find um, repeating segments across a bunch of people. 
So we're using this big data set to find where those little repeating segments are. We do that through some artificial intelligence techniques, particularly machine learning, which basically can look at a bunch of data and loop through it really quickly and try to find those parts that look like one another by comparing it back to itself. So it's a really cool technique. Um, it's not something that we can do manually because it takes so much time, but it's a way that the computer can learn by itself. Um, and so that's a really cool application as well because it brings in more of the engineering and technology side uh, to a neuroscience application. Yeah, so it manages to use one kind of tool, the machine learning and the AI, to help you out with this other type of tool that uses a lot of physics, all to study a living thing and our human brain. So it's kind of everything all combined. That's super, super cool. Yeah. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention that you wanted to talk about? Okay, so one other thing that people might be interested in is a couple of years ago, I did a project um, that used robotics as well as this neuroscience EEG technology. So um, what we could do is we put an EEG cap on people and we had them um, move their right hand. And when we moved, when they moved their right hand, the EEG um, electrodes picked up the signal from their brain that was telling their hand to move. And then we took that signal and sent it to a robot and the robot moved right. And then when they moved to their left hand, um, their brain signal on the left side told the robot to move left. So you basically were controlling a robot with your brain um, just by moving your hand or even just by thinking about moving your hand, uh, you could get it to move as well. So that was a really cool application of EEG and it brought in some more engineering and robotics stuff. So that was very interesting. That's so cool. That sounds like a sci-fi movie. That sounds like controlling robots with your brain, like when they control cars with their brains in sci-fi movies. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Lindsay. And as always, a big, big thank you to everybody listening. If you would like to learn even more about the human brain, check out this week's activity at bit.ly forward slash what do scientists do. Or you can check us out on Twitter or Instagram at ScientistsDoPod. That's also where we'll be announcing our guests for each episode. So if you have a question about anything, from microwaves to megalodons, you can tag us on Twitter or send us an email at whatdoscientistsdo at superstaff.ca. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Bye for now. This podcast was made by Supernova at Dalhousie University, a network member of Actua. For more information on our summer camps, workshops, and more, check out supernova.dal.ca.